Welcome to the City Hills Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that the message today helped you encounter God, love people, and discover purpose. For more information about who we are as a church, head over to cityhillschurchsd.com. If you would like to partner with us financially, click the Give button at the top of the homepage on our website. And now, let's jump right into the message. Hello, City Hills. I'm honored to speak to you today. I would like to thank Pastor Danny, my wonderful son-in-law, for giving me this great opportunity to be with you. Let me start by saying Happy Father's Day to all of our dads. I'm reminded of one little boy when he was asked to explain Father's Day, said, well, it's just like Mother's Day, but you don't spend as much on the present. (laughs) Well, for one, I'm glad there is a Father's Day, but not because I'm a dad myself, but because it still gives us a chance to honor those who stand at the helm, who gather their team in a huddle, who lead their family through life's battles. Father's Day also gives us a chance to reflect on the differences between the role of men and women in the family. Many times we men talk about how hard it is to understand women, and it's true, they they do speak a different language than we do. But we men can be hard to understand too. Sometimes we don't always say what we mean. So ladies, please allow me just for a few minutes to translate what it means for your future benefit when we make certain statements. For instance, when a man says it would take too long to explain, he means I have no idea how it works. (laughs) When a man says, take a break, honey, you're working way too hard. He means I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. When a man says, "Uh uh-huh, sure, honey, Uh, yes, dear, it means absolutely nothing. It's just a conditioned response. (laughs) When a man says, oh, don't fuss, don't fuss. I I just cut myself and it's, it's no big deal. He really means I've probably severed a limb, but I will bleed to death before I admit I'm hurt. So please get over here and help me. (laughs) When a man says, I can't find it, he means It didn't fall into my outstretched hand, so I'm completely clueless. When a man says, I heard you, he means, I haven't the foggiest clue what you just said, and I'm hoping desperately I can fake it well enough so that you'll not spend the next three days yelling at me. (laughs) When a man says, you look terrific, he means, oh, please, Don't try on another outfit. We're late and I'm starving. When a man says, I don't think I can go today. What he means is shopping is not a sport and no, I'm never going to think of it that way. When a man says, I don't remember saying that. It's because he means anything I have said six months ago, is inadmissible in an argument. In fact, all past comments are null and void after seven days. And finally, when he says, that's not what I meant, he means. If something I said can be interpreted two ways, and one of the ways makes you sad or angry, I meant the other one. (laughs) Well, ladies, I trust this little bit of wisdom has been of some help to you today as you help discover what a real man is. As we continue in the series, Something's Gotta Give, that Pastor Danny has been speaking on, 
I want to challenge our men with this statement. I give up present day culture's concept of a real man. I give up present day culture's concept of a real man. I want to share with you four values of a real man. In 1982, the Milwaukee Brewers were playing the California Angels for the championship of the American League. The seventh game, as the Angels took the field in the first inning, Reggie Jackson trotted out to play right field. And at that moment, a large banner unfurled in the bleachers behind him, which read, Reggie eats quiche. Now, the significance of that will be lost on us unless we know that back then a very popular book had just been released bearing the title, Real Men Don't Eat Quiche. In our society, there's some confusion that continues as, we, as what constitutes a real man. I'll not get into all the political issues that's going on right now. But here are a few syndromes that society likes to place on what a real man is. The first one is the big wheel syndrome. This is the man that is in control. He views himself clearly, clearly as a success when he is not. This man expects everybody to recognize him as the big wheel. Then there's the sturdy oak syndrome. This requires the man to be tough at all times, confident, self-reliant, able to stand firm. He allows everyone to lean on him because he's the one who will not, under any circumstances, be shaken. There's the macho maniac syndrome. This is the Dirty Harry, Rambo, Clint Eastwood, Die Hard, Robocop. Deny all your feelings, ignore the law, never complain, and never apologize. Just sweat and lots of it. This means a real man must be aggressive, daring, and even violent at times. He's highly competitive and he makes things happen. Then there's the great pretender syndrome. This goes way back to one of the Former shows, the Archie Bunker show. This is the Archer Bunker, Archie Bunker type person who builds up his self-worth by belittling someone else, especially his wife and his family. He rules over his family while everyone actually ridicules him behind his back. He's frightened by the world, and so he keeps everyone at arm's length by his constant caustic talk. And then finally, there's the world-class wimp syndrome. This is the Dagwood Bumstead type of person who is inept and he's constantly outwitted by his children, his wife, and yes, even the dog. Nobody takes him serious. Some would call him a bumbling idiot. Well, what can we conclude from these syndromes? Well, evidently, men aren't as in control as we have been led to believe. No wonder women can't understand this. And for that reason, it's reason it's time for us to reevaluate the question. What is a real man? What are the values that signify a real man? The Bible teaches that you don't determine a person's greatness by the value of their wealth, but by the wealth of their values. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gives us two examples of men that, were, that had great values, Epaphroditus and Timothy. In Philippians chapter 2, he says of Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him. He's very rare. And then in verse 20, he says of Epaphroditus, he says, hold men like him in highest honor. So what are these four values? Well, first, 
Real men are caring. Reminds me of the small boy and his sister that were riding on the back of a new wooden horse that was given them. Suddenly the boy turned to his sister and said these words, if one of us would get off, there would be more room for me. Well, have we noticed self often rules our lives, doesn't it? We think about me more than you. But Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 tells us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. This is not natural for most men. It is our nature to focus on our own needs and not on the relationships of others. But in reality, care is based on love. The Bible says, if I have not love, I'm nothing. The greatest things in life are, are, thing, are not things. God is looking for people who care about people. People do not care how much you know until they know how much you care. So over the long haul, relationships are more valuable than riches. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3, if I give everything I own to the poor, and even go to the stake and be burned as a martyr, but I don't have love, I've got nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. You can be a success in everything else, but if you don't have love in your life, the word says you're a failure. And too often we're just in it for ourselves. We're not caring what other people need or what they want. And that's why the Apostle Paul says of Timothy in verses 20 and 21, he says, I have no one quite like Timothy. He is loyal and genuine. He's concerned for you. Most people around here are looking out for themselves with little concern for the things of Jesus. Now notice that Paul said he had no one else like Timothy. Paul uses a Greek word that is found only here in the New Testament, and literally it means equal soul or one soul. It refers to people who are, are like-minded. They have a kindred spirit. No one else reflected his heart for God and his heart for people quite like Timothy. That's what Paul is saying. Timothy was a kindred spirit with Paul. He was someone with, with which Paul could count on and always look out for the interests of others. Paul knew from experience that Timothy shared his same burden for other people. Unfortunately, too many men are like Paul's words. In verse 21, he says they're all wrapped up in their own affairs. The man who's wrapped up all in himself is not a daddy. He's a mummy. <laughs> okay, some of you will get that Friday. The realization is that the average father spends less than two minutes a day with his children in serious conversation. How do you develop a relationship like that? Well, you can't. We hear statements like, I would love to play ball, but I don't have time. I would love to help out, but... I don't have time. I'd love to do this, but I don't have time. I would have to, I have to make a sale. I have to close a deal. I have to run a race, I, whatever. A real man, a real man cares for his family, for his friends, and he cares for other. When I reflect on my, my own father, this first Father's Day without him for me, just like your pastor, Danny, 
I realized that my dad was a real man. He worked long hours. He covered lots of territories, a state highway engineer, covered 12 counties, as a matter of fact. And yet he still had time to coach my baseball team, to take me to basketball practice and games, to go on camping and fishing trips. He taught me how to swim, how to ride a bike, how to throw a ball. And most importantly, he taught me how to be a real man. And that means that you care for other people. And he also taught me that as a real man, that a real man is a man of God. Notice, Paul said everyone else was self-consumed, but Timothy was a giving individual. My dad was a very giving man. The Apostle Paul is saying that's where you show what a real man is, a caring person. This is one of the greatest needs of the world today, people who will give themselves in service to others. One of the greatest uh, stories that relates to caring is the man that was the YMCA secretary in San Antonio, Texas. This man had a very wealthy brother who made a lot of money in the oil business. And so this man received a brand new car for Christmas from his brother. He came out of his office one day to the car and there was a little boy who was shining the fender. He said, Mr., is this your car? Yes, son, it is. Boy, that sure is a pretty car. The man said, it's nice. My brother gave it to me for Christmas, and he started to get into the car. The little boy backed up. He says, oh, man, I wish I. And the man expected to hear words like, I wish I had a brother like that that would give me a car for Christmas. But the little boy said, mister, I wish I could be a brother like that. The man said, what did you say? The boy repeated, I wish I could be a brother like that. The man said, son, would you like to go riding in this car? I would like to get to know you better and take you for a ride and, and then take you home. The little boy said, yes, sir. They got into the car and they rode down the street and the boy showed him where to go and go up an alley and then to a little shack. The boy said, mister, if you could just wait a minute, if, if you don't mind, I want to come back here and just wait here a minute. He disappeared into the house, and in a few minutes, he came back, and on his back, he carried his little brother. His legs were in braces, and the man understood that he was crippled. As he got to the car, the little boy said, Hey, bud, bud, you see that car? This man's brother gave it to him. But, bud, one of these days, I'm going to be a brother like that for you. One of these days, I promise you, I'm going to take you to a doctor that can make you walk. One of these days, I'm going to get you a car and everything you can need in life because I'm going to be that kind of brother to you, bud. We need to be that kind of a caring person. Not that you could give someone a car, but that you care enough to look out for the best interest of others. Real, real men are caring men. Secondly, real men work with others. Real men work with others. Paul was probably the most gifted man who ever lived next to Jesus Christ himself. And yet even he recognized that we accomplish more when we work together, when we go beyond the look what I did syndrome. Paul said of Timothy in verse 22 of Philippians 2, he said, Timothy has proved himself and he has served with me in the work of the gospel. The word proved literally means he has a tested 
character. In other words, he did not bend to pressure. He was tested and tried, and yet he was found faithful to stand with Paul in service and work with him. Paul is intimating that my ideas are good and your ideas are good, but our ideas together are great. He says, if you really want to make an impact with your life, you need to work together with people. Paul continues the working together theme in verse 25 when he speaks of Epaphroditus. He says, I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier. That tells me that God expects us to develop a close relationship with other believers for three reasons. First, he says that church is a family. Notice he said, my brother. In other words, we're related. The Bible calls other Christians brother 133 times. I think that's a good term. It's a term of endearment. It is a warm term. It's, it tells us that we're all in the family. But it usually isn't until a crisis comes until you understand what it is about being a family. City Hills, you revealed how much of a family you are to the Hendersons, my family. When Danny's father, Bud, passed away, you, you loved them and you cared for them. Thank you. Thank you for putting your arms around Mary and Danny and Lauren and Brooklyn and, and Audrey, your pastors, as they walked through a very difficult road. That tells me that the church is a family, but it only becomes your family if you choose to get involved, if you choose to develop relationships where you have an extended family of brothers and sisters that will help you when you go through rough times. But not only is the Christian life a family, but secondly, he says it's a fellowship. Notice he says a fellow worker, meaning that we're in the same task, the same mission. We're working together. We're serving together to do what is best for the team. The 2014 NBA Finals were between the Miami Heat and the son of uh, the San Antonio Spurs. The San Antonio Spurs won their fifth NBA title in a rout of the Miami Heat. The Spurs won the series four games to one and outscored the Heat by 70 points, which marked the biggest point differential in the NBA Finals history. The Spurs' five NBA championships are the fourth most in history behind the Celtics, the Lakers, and the Bulls. But there's an interesting story behind the story regarding the finals and one of the Spurs players. The Spurs had a player by the name of David Robinson. He was a Christian. He was a, retired from the NBA in 2003, and all of our Navy men ought to know his name, if not researching as David Robinson was nearing retirement, the Spurs brought in a new player to be the star, the center for the future. His name was Tim Duncan. David Robinson took Tim Duncan and he mentored him as a basketball player. People, people said David Robinson was foolish for doing this. They said Robinson would mentor Duncan and Duncan would take his job from the team. The criticism did not phase David Robinson. He unselfishly mentored Tim Duncan. He played a support role. And interestingly enough, the Spurs had not missed the playoffs in the 17 seasons leading up to the 2014 NBA Finals since Tim Duncan was drafted by the Spurs in 1997. 
Many credit Tim Duncan for success, but I would submit to you that it was David Robinson who took the time to train and develop Duncan that should get the credit. God expects his children to support the church and the believers who make up that church. And there are many times to, that describe the church. Among them are body and family. These two terms help us understand the support concept. So that tells us that the parts of the body, the parts of the body supports the body and the members of the family support the family. Let me ask you, men, who are you mentoring to take your place when you're dead and gone? Third, he says, fellow soldier. In other words, we are all in the same army. I might add the same Navy, Marines, Coast Guard, and Air Force. We sure do not want to leave any of our heroes out. What he's saying is it's a battle out there. It's tough. You get knocked around. The Bible says we have the same enemy, and his name is Satan. And it is the duty of all of us together to support, to encourage, to defend, and to put bandages on each other when we get wounded and when, when we're out there in the midst of battle. So Paul is bragging on Epaphroditus, his fellow strategist and leader in the matter of spiritual warfare. He stood by Paul through personal difficulties and, and in prison when others had abandoned him. The description of the soldier is very important. Roman soldiers would fight in long, large battle lines. They would lock their shields together. And once they were in line, it formed, and the line was formed, there was no going back. So in defense, when someone's attacking them, the only way they could break through because they were locked together was to kill the soldier in front of them in the front line. In offense, the soldiers would be able to move forward side by side. Paul is stating in a powerful way the faithfulness of Epaphroditus and the importance of locking shields, if you were, to fight the common enemy. He locked shields with the apostle and he never retreated. Paul was eternally grateful for how Epaphroditus fought with him, with him and for him. When you read the story, you find that Epaphroditus fought loneliness for the apostle. He was there for, for him even though he was near death himself. He fought poverty and financial despair by bringing him an offering to subsidize the ministry efforts in Rome. Epaphroditus fought selfishness and poured his energy into something eternal rather than temporal. And together there in Rome, these two men, along with their comrades, stood shoulder to shoulder, declaring to a paganistic, immoral, and confused society that there was a creator God who made them, who revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, who died for their sinfulness, who was resurrected and now lives in the new body called the church. They worked together, inviting others to be a part of that, of that body. They would engage in the fight to turn this world back over to the God who made them, so where we truly belong. And this would bring a sense of significance to the life and death. Let's face it. You're not going to make it alone in your Christian life. The people that God, that God uses are men and women who stand together. They work with each other. You need real friends. We become family with great fellowship and are fellow fighters in the work of God. That's why it is important to be a part of this church and to get involved in small groups so that you can develop relationships. 
You say you don't need it, but you do. Judges chapter 20, verse 11 says, So all the men of Israel got together and united as one man against the city. There's an incredible power in unity. San Diego doesn't know much about snow, but snowflakes are pretty fragile. But if enough of them stick together, they can stop traffic. And that is true with us. By myself, I cannot do a lot. And by yourself, you cannot do a lot. But together, we can make an impact. The third thing about the value of real men is that real men are committed to serve the cause of Christ. Verse 25, Paul says of Epaphroditus, he says, He is your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. He was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. This is the story where Paul was in Rome, in prison. And there's a church in Philippi who decided to take an offering and to send money to pay for Paul's bills. He was in prison. Epaphroditus said he would take it. And this was no small errand because it's 800 miles between Rome and Philippi. There weren't boats, cars, planes, trains that were readily available. So basically, he's going to make an 800-mile journey on foot. And Epaphroditus says, I'm going to put the cause of Christ before personal comfort. I'll make the 800-mile journey on foot and deliver this offering to Paul. But while he's on the trip, he catches some kind of infection. He gets this disease and he gets very sick. Evidently, it's a deadly disease. Because the word says he was ill. And it is the same word used for other parts in the Bible that where people got ill and they died. This was not post-nasal drip, folks. This was a deadly disease where he nearly died. Have you ever been away from home and extremely sick? Do you know how miserable that is? Who have been there? All you're thinking is, I just want to get home. But Epaphroditus didn't do it. He didn't cop out. He didn't turn around. He didn't go back to Philippi. He kept on. He went all the way to Rome, delivered his stuff, and then eventually got home. He was persistent despite his pain. He was committed to finishing the task. Most of us say, well, I'll live for the Lord when it's convenient. I'll go to church as long as there's not a good game on today. As long as I can get out early before the Terrible San Diego traffic jam. Listen to me. Ministry costs and exhausts. God is looking for men who will pay the price. That's why James chapter 2 verse 17 says, Faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. God is looking for real men of action, of initiative, who put feet to their faith. They're doers of the word. They're active. God is looking for men who are committed to the cause of Christ. And finally, real men are courageous in their work for Christ. In other words, you take risks for the kingdom of God. You serve God and others with reckless abandonment. In verse 29 and 30, he says, welcome him, the Lord that welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor, men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help 
you could not give me. It says we're to honor men like that. Men who risk their lives for Christ. The, the word risk is literally a gambling term. It means a hazarding or to throw aside. It speaks of voluntarily putting oneself in harm's way, exposing oneself to danger for the work of Christ. And this is the same word in staking everything on the roll of the dice. He says that's what this guy did. In essence, he was saying Epaphroditus gambled his life away for Jesus Christ. Our military men and women understand this. They put their life on the line every day for the cause of American freedom. So here's the question. Have you recently risked anything for Christ? Time is our most precious commodity in today's world. Have you risked investing any time for the cause of Christ? Money is a close second. Have you risked investing, maybe investing lavishly to advance God's purposes? Epaphroditus put himself in harm's way. He exposed himself to danger to advance the gospel. And what about you? The question is, have you ever risked something to reach a lost soul? One of my all-time favorite heroes of the faith is Jim Elliott, 1956. Along with four other missionaries, Jim attempted to reach the Aka Indians with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Akas lived in the middle of the Amazon jungle in Ecuador, and I've been there, and it truly is an austere place. They were a fierce tribe who avoided all contact with modern society, and as they attempted to share the gospel, Jim and his four colleagues were speared to death by the Akas on a sandy beach. They risked everything. They gave their lives for the cause of Christ. Well, what impacted me was years earlier, while Jim was a student at Wheaton College, he penned these immortal words. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to save what he cannot lose. Let me ask a question one more time. What have you risked to advance the cause of Christ? When I read that kind of thing, I have to ask myself, is my commitment to Christ deep enough to cause me to risk anything? Well, I think it is. How about you? Is your commitment to Christ deep enough to risk anything, to risk your time, risk your reputation, to risk your finances? When he tells you to do something, are you willing to do it? Are you willing to take the risk? We need men of courage in the church. We need men of courage who will serve, not just on the mission field, but serve their next door neighbor that needs Jesus. That's what counts. That's what makes a difference. Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, he says, so then brothers, because God's great mercy to us, offer yourself as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. Do not conform to the standard of this world, but let God transform you inwardly and completely change the complete change of your mind. In other words, he says we're to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. The only problem with a living sacrifice is it can crawl off the altar. <laughs> you make a commitment and then you back off. 
You come to church on Sunday and sing Onward Christian Soldiers, if you will, and then you go A-W-O-L on Monday. He says to offer yourselves. So I have to ask myself constantly, what are you offering to God to whom you owe everything? The question is, are you offering God your time? Does, does your time go to God or where does it go to? Are you offering your talent? Are you offering your tithe? He says, give me back the first 10% of what you make. What is God telling you to do? And what is he doing in your life? What does it cost to be a Christian? Well, that's the mark of greatness. Mark chapter eight, verse 35. I love the scripture says, only those who give their lives away for my sake and the sake of the good news will ever know what it means to really live. That's a value of a real man. I meet in my responsibilities I meet so many bored, frustrated, and unfulfilled men. And I've often asked my question, myself the question, why is it there are so many unfulfilled men out there? I think I know the answer. It's because they've lost their spirit of adventure. They have nothing significant to live for. Life is more than just to have a career, retire, and die. There's a meaning to life. God wants us to use us in ministry in a way that we can make an impact with our life. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I have no one else like Timothy. I read that and I say, why? Why aren't there more godly men around? Why are they so rare? The greatest challenge you'll ever face in your life is the challenge to be a man of God. The greatest challenge you will ever have in your life is the challenge to live 100% sold out, turned on for Jesus Christ in front of your family and your business, your associates and your friends. This life is not for wimps. The question is, are you man enough to do it? These are just two ordinary guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about them. Millions of people have read about these guys in the Bible. Why? Because they were men of value. When I read this, I think, what is going to be the long-term effect of my life? And men, you need to ask yourself that question. What's going to be the long-term effect of your life? I want mine to count for eternity. How about you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that you give to us today to reflect on our lives and to see what the value of a real man is. Today, society is trying to tell us all these different venues and avenues and thought processes of what a man is. But Lord, through your word, we have understood, we recognize what a real man is to be all about, the bottom line, that we are to be a man of God, a man of righteousness, a man who cares for others, a man who works for you and a man who works with others so that we may somehow lead someone else to you as Lord and Savior of their life, that you have created us, fashioned us, formed us to be real men, 
to help people become real lovers of Christ and to serve you with all of their heart. Touch all of our fathers today, minister to them, strengthen them, strengthen our families, and will not fail to give you the praise, the honor, the glory for what you will do. And Lord, if there's a father out there or a man out there that does not know you as Lord and Savior of their life, of their life let them accept you today. Let them say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, of my faults and my failures. I accept you today as Lord of my life. Let that be so today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed the message today. We would love to be able to partner with you on your faith journey. Regardless of where you're at or what you're walking through, know that your friends at City Hills Church are here for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, click the contact button on the top of the homepage and share your request with us. Our prayer team will keep you and your family in prayer every week. We hope you have an incredible day and that you discover a little more purpose throughout your week. We look forward to seeing you soon.